all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and so much more. You can also catch us at Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, as we are uh, doing game reviews for a network of newspapers. And you can also catch me on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM Radio. We have the simulcast on our page uh, most Fridays, you know, depending on their recording schedule and needs. Uh, it averages out to every two weeks. Sometimes, uh, you know, we go a full month, but uh, usually we have something at least two to three times a month on there. And, of course, we have our skewed and reviewed magazine. Well, since this is the day of the big game and there's a lot going on, a lot of movie trailers getting ready to drop, some have already dropped already that we'll talk about. Uh, Michael is off taking care of some stuff, so Justin and I are going to be rocking and rolling. And we've got a lot of stuff to talk about, including some brand new news from Disney that just came down the pipe not five minutes ago. Before we get to that, I did want to discuss a couple of new releases from the last week. And the first off is the Magma mini keyboard from Rocat. Now, this is a really interesting uh, setup, Justin, because it is a 60% form factor, so it doesn't take up as much space on your desktop. But it has a five-zone IMO RGB lighting with translucent top plate. It has the uh, IP33 rating to protect from spills. It's quiet, it's fast, it has responsive membrane, and it also has a lot of other functions that you normally find at higher priced keyboards. It also has the AMO RGB lighting, but the great thing about this, $49.99. So you could have a really quick, easy uh, setup, and if you order through Rocat's page, they actually have a setup where uh, your shipping can be free with any order over $50. We have one that uh, we've been reviewing, and it's actually pretty good. At first I thought, okay, is this gonna be a bit small for my uh, hands and stuff? And it's not. I have been using a Rocad Vulcan uh, for a while, and this is definitely comparable. It's a really nice setup for those who want a smaller keyboard, who want to take advantage of um, a reduced profile on their desk and more. So definitely something to keep an eye out for. The other thing that came out is the long-awaited uh, Hogwarts Legacy has arrived, and I've uh, been playing the PS5 version of it. Very nice intro to it for people that are not aware. It is a role-playing game set in the Harry Potter universe with a very elaborate character creator where you can create a character, male or female, and you essentially go through your time at Hogwarts and, of course, have a uh, grand adventure. Now, one of the interesting things about it is there are numerous spells to learn along the way, and that helps you with um, various challenges that come up. Now, it does take a little bit of learning. One of the biggest things that I've been trying to get used to is that um, I'm in kind of an opening tutorial segment, and some of the things you essentially have to get used to the response. Uh, it, some things move really quickly. Some things have a bit of a delay. There's essentially a challenge where these things are coming at you, and you have to hit the triangle button bring up the shield, but you have to hold it down uh, after defending yourself to use a stunning attack. And then I've been kind of able to get through all of that, but then I'm not lasting too long in the next phase, and then I'm having to repeat myself. So uh, basically, I'm tag-teaming it with my wife, 
And uh, I took a default character off I go. She's going to spend ages crafting a character, one that probably is going to look exactly like her. So um, there you have it. Uh, so before I talk about that anymore, uh, Justin, did you have any take on uh, Harry Potter or expectations or what have you heard about this? Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I've I've heard a lot of good things about uh, about it so far. Um, that it's pretty big game, you know, uh, in terms of like its map. Uh, it, I guess it surprised a lot of people, like how just how large the game is. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm working through a few other games right now, uh, so it's probably going to be a little bit before I get it. But uh, but yeah, you know. Um, I grew up with with uh, with Harry Potter, just like you know everyone else my age. So uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to trying it out. I think there's going to be definitely a lot of expansion on that. There was some talk that there would be a ray tracing patch uh, released on uh, day one. I didn't see it the other day, not to say that it's not there, um, but that is something to look forward to. There's been some talk that somewhere down the line there may be some multiplayer co-op aspects introduced or maybe like a challenge arena that sort of thing uh so lots and lots of stuff to look forward to and i think that is a really good point because when you have a universe as big and as um diverse as the harry potter universe the opportunity for expansion is endless i mean you could do anything from i know some people and i'm not i don't think i'm ruining anything by this some people have said well, there's no Quidditch in the game, but they explain why there is. Well, just imagine if they come up with a multiplay mode where you actually get to play Quidditch, where you form your teams and you go at it. I mean, that could be um, absolutely a huge thing. And then, of course, they could open up new areas to explore. There's all kinds of stories, uh, past, present, and future in the universe they could talk to. So um, really, really looking forward to seeing what they come up with down the road because I think it properly supported this could be a multi-year franchise where they just continue uh, cranking it out. And we've seen games like that where they have constantly put fresh content out and there has not been the need for a sequel because they've kept the universe alive. I mean, just off the top of my head, you people can debate, but Fallout um, 76, um, oh, what's the other one, Destiny 2? You mm -hmm. know, keep putting out content, keep things rolling. And you make things fresh and interesting. Now, speaking of interesting, uh, we got news from various sources, and it's been all over the web and confirmed, that the new Indiana Jones movie coming this summer, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, is apparently clocking in at a budget of $294 million and change. Now, Harrison Ford has been doing the rounds and has been very clear this is his final outing as Indiana Jones, and uh, Disney has said in the past, well, we don't have any plans to, uh, you know, go on Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones. We don't have plans to recast the character, that sort of thing. Some people think spinoffs, uh, potentially Phoebe Waller-Bridges, who's uh, playing, uh, well, I know who she's playing in the new film, but um, some people think that it might be around her, so on and so forth. What do you make of this, and do you think this is a gamble? Yeah, I mean, I, I actually, I do think it's a bit of a gamble. Uh, the last one was not, you know, super well-received, uh, and I think they, they kind of tried to do a similar thing where they were passing the torch. It was supposed to be Shia LaBeouf, who played his son, 
Um, I think, you know, they were banking on him kind of, you know, and it, not, not, you know, not without reason. I mean, he was a pretty big star at the time. He was in this Transformers movies, and he was kind of, he was young, and he was up and coming. And so I think their their line of thinking at the time was, okay, you know, Harrison Ford is getting a little older. Let's do a pass the torch kind of thing uh, and introduce this this new character. And, you know, he even, like, threw his hat at, at him, uh, you know, at the end of the movie. Uh, but so, then he took it back. That Yeah, so I, I they were, yeah, they were kind of cagey with the whole thing, but... You know, I, I do think the per- one of the purposes behind that movie was to kind of set Shia LaBeouf up as a, you know, a potential, um, you know, Indiana Jones, you know, obviously not Indiana Jones, but, you know, someone who could star in, in, in Indiana Jones movies. Um, but obviously that didn't really work out. So, um, so that leads us to where we are today. And uh, I'm, just me personally, I really think they should just kind of let it go i think he i think harrison ford is indiana jones and i think at this point if they're going to do they, they obviously they can do similar types of movies um you know there's nothing stopping them from introducing like some new character um you know and, and doing you know adventure movies in that in that style but i think harrison ford is indiana jones and i don't i, I i'm sort of kind of against the idea of continuing this um you know indiana jones uh franchise like without indiana jones it it's possible to do this in in other um in other contexts but with him you know he is the franchise so it, it's hard to see how this continues without him just because that just the style of the of the movies you know, being basically an adaption of, of adventure serials from, you know, e- many eons ago. Uh, it's just hard to see them doing this, um, you know, uh, going forward. That said, um, it does seem like they're kind of going all out with this one. Um, and, uh, um, you know, with the, with the super high budget. Um, so I'm curious to see how it goes. Um Super high budget doesn't necessarily equate to to high quality. We we all know that that uh, there have been high budget movies um, that have not done well. But um, I'm I'm going to be obviously I'll be seeing it. Uh, so we'll we'll have to see how this goes. Um, and uh, yeah, it might be a little bit of a gamble for them. It's going to be interesting because you have a situation where number one it's at a new studio number two george lucas is not involved in this uh but you do have a new director and some people say well perhaps the fresh blood is what it's needed uh you know to look at something now admittedly this was 2008 and the box office was in a much different place but i think we can clearly say that the box office is still showing that if you have an event movie, people will come out. It's the dramas and the more independent stuff that are struggling. But to give you an idea, on a $185 million budget in 2008, which, let's adjust for inflation, would be over $200 million and change by far, uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, as uh, much as it divided fans, still made $790 million, thousand dollars and that is before dvds before merchandise and did not to the best of my knowledge have any showings in china now if that is something that has changed this time around 
does a $300 million budget make it potential? And we've been, uh, Michael was able to jump in and join us. So, Michael, do you have a take on uh, Indiana Jones uh, and the Dial of Destiny reportedly having a $294 million budget? Well, I mean, I think in this day and age, it's hard to do a movie um, where you're going to have a much lower budget for such a big, big, you know, box office movie. Um, and that being said, we know this movie has a lot of uh, de-aging uh, in the process, which I'll be curious to see. I mean, we know that that, that technology has come a long way. Um, it, it still kind of gives me a little bit of an uncanny valley feeling when they do it, even when it's done well. I mean, we saw it. We've seen it in um, Rogue One. We've seen it in The Mandalorian, um, where they've either de-aged somebody or they've um, added in a character who's no longer with us. Uh, and put them in there. Now, obviously, again, that that technology has come a long way, but I'm sure that's adding significantly to the expense um, because, you know, we have seen where they um, make Indiana Jones look um, like he did back in, you know, Raiders uh, versus to his current age. Um, so I'm sure a lot of that technology is driving the budget probably further along um, than where it was. Uh, I also can't see Harrison Ford doing another one of these at his age and, and you know maybe there will be a, a you know a, a, another one that they're going to try to push out in the meantime but at the same time i think they're easily going to make seven eight nine hundred million with this movie again indiana jones is still um a, a key player um he's still well known even amongst um the younger generation who were not even around when the original trilogy came out um and I, and I still think that it, it draws fans in. Now, obviously, if it gets... Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the Crystal Skull because uh, I think it, it strayed way too far from the formula. Um, and it just wasn't... Um, I, I liked it. It was fine. It just, I think, in my opinion, it just strayed a bit too far from the formula. This first scene bring back a bunch of um, well-known characters. Um, Sala, for example... Um, is, is reappearing in, in this movie. So I think, it, you know, I think it's going to do just fine um, and make a profit. You know, I don't think the 300 million is going to hurt it at all. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes. I, again, I think, I think generally speaking, I think it's going to do um, just fine at the box office. Yeah. And that's going to be the big question too, is, you know, everybody's trying to say, what is the, um, what is the box office going to look like? And as I said to Justin, well, people have shown for the last couple of years that event movies are going to be um, draws. And the fact that the um, studios, especially Disney, are investing very heavily in ads for the game today. I mean, $7 million for a 30-second spot. And we've already seen several, um, I think at least 10 different... Uh, movie trailers are going to be dropping some of them their very first debut tells me that uh, they think the box office is going to be fine i mean we've got um ant-man and the wasp quantumania opening very soon i have zero doubts that that's going to be uh big at the box office especially when you consider there's not a ton of um competition going on out there and uh you know we'll see now uh keeping in disney we did want to mention that there has been uh, some news. We had some news come in just this morning 
Uh, but before we get to that, let's talk about the news of the last week, and that's where Bob Iger did a uh, conference call, and he essentially said, okay, you know, uh, we lost some subscribers to Disney Plus for the first time. They're pretty much all in uh, India. We have uh, a track in place for when this the streaming service is going to be profitable. There are some saying that he they read into it that essentially Hulu could be on the table for being sold. That um, we've heard rumors that they're trying to buy WWE or at least in conversations with them about that. Uh, but against all of that, we also get news that an Avatar experience is coming to Disneyland and that theatrical sequels to Frozen, Zootopia, and Toy Story 5 are coming. Now, the interesting thing about Frozen, Disney, I'm not counting Pixar, but Walt Disney Studios generally does not do a lot of theatrical sequels to their animated films. There have been plenty of direct-to-video and that sort of thing, but... Uh, the fact that they're doing a third Frozen film just shows you how big the franchise is. We've already had a look at the Frozen land that's opening up in Hong Kong. There's a Zootopia being uh, built in China. And then on top of it, we hear, well, we're going to be laying off 7,000 people uh, from the company in our effort to get profitable. So, Michael, um, not profitable, that's a bad choice of words, it, to... Uh, address any shortcomings and improve the bottom line. So, Michael, what do you think? And I think this is just um, some right-sizing that they're probably doing. I, I don't have any... I'm not really all that concerned about Disney Plus being successful. I mean, you're all, I think all these um, streaming services go through areas where they see a drop-off in subscriptions. I mean, Netflix has been like this off and on for several years at this point. I'm sure Hulu, um, prior to Disney, had experienced the same. I mean, Paramount Plus, for a while, we thought that wasn't even going to survive, and yet it seems to be doing fine, too. So I just think it's, it's you know, I think once Mandalorian launches, I think they're going to see more um, subscriptions um, pop in, um, which a lot of folks do. They'll do monthly or they'll maybe do a year waiting for their favorite franchise and then drop off. You know, I think there's a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of concern right now over I think what the industry is showing and let's not, let's not forget that with inflation being higher, um, you know, talks of recession, um, people losing jobs, you know, all of this kind of goes along with cutting extra things, right? We've seen in the past, I think in 2000, Eight, when we were kind of going through this downturn in the country, places like um, gyms and places like Starbucks suffered because a lot of people had to cut back on things that were not um, necessary for day-to-day -day survival, right? And, and those things like coffees and gyms were big ticket items that people could, you know, do away with for a time until things improved. And I think streaming services are a lot like that. I think streaming services are a luxury that people are more than willing to pay for, you know, when they when they can. But when it comes to, oh, we need to save money in our budget to, you know, cover gas or cover food, things like streaming services and luxury type items are the first things to go. Now, again, I think, um, you know, I think again, some of this is just the industry. I think with, you know, Disney Plus, a lot of people are signing up, watching their favorite shows, and then, you know 
letting it go uh, to uh, quote Frozen, since we're kind of talking in that that realm too. But I think from a from a streaming perspective, I think they're going to be okay. Um, as far as um, Disney releasing sequels in the theater, um, yeah, I mean it used to be tradition where they would have their big movies like Lion King or Aladdin, and then they'd have direct to DVD releases for those sequels. But I think things have come a long way, and they've shown what Pixar can do, where Pixar is very successful releasing um, sequels like The Incredibles or Toy Story, um, those types of movies in theaters. So I think Disney's just following that lead, and with a with a um, franchise like Frozen, which has been um, phenomenally successful based on their other um, IPs, I think it's probably a wise move and something that they're going to make money on. And Justin, your take, please. Yeah, I definitely think that's that's right. I mean, at this point, there's not really a lot of reason to release uh, sequels exclusively on like a streaming service if you know you think or if they think that they can make a lot of money through the box office. It's one of those where you're probably going to see this both ways, where movies that uh, that they think are going to do better exclusively on streaming, they'll release on streaming, and ones that they think that um, uh, will do well at the box office, they'll release in the box office, regardless of whether they're a sequel or not. Um, you know, as far as their financials, I do think that uh, it, it's not just them. I mean, we've seen all sorts of uh, headlines recently of, of downsizing across, you know, all sorts of different companies, Google and uh, some of the other big, you know, tech giants over in, uh, in San Francisco, uh, a lot of downsizing over there. I mean, I think this is a tightening of the belt situation where a lot of the, um, you know, they're, a lot of these companies are going back to focusing on fundamentals uh, just because, you know, things are a little tighter right now. I mean, inflation is still high. Um, we're kind of in this kind of weird situation where we're not quite sure what's going on, uh, you know, with, with the economy. Is it growing? Is it shrinking? You know, it seems to be kind of in flux. So, this makes sense. I think this is something that Disney's probably needed to do for a little while, uh, and I always thought it was a little strange that they um, they, they had two streaming services. Uh, obviously, they bought Hulu as an investment, um, and it, you know I could back then you know I could see the case for it. You know, keep keep the non Disney esque stuff. You know, the stuff that you you don't you know not to say that they don't want associated with the Disney brand, but maybe things that. Um, you know, don't quite fit with with the Disney Disney Plus branding uh, would go on Hulu, and then you know everything else would go on Disney Plus. But um, you know, this sort of makes sense that they're kind of thinking of of Hulu as kind of this. Um, you know, it obviously hasn't been as successful as Disney Plus, and I think uh, it makes sense for them to kind of just focus on one uh, streaming service rather than two. Yeah, and it could be just simply a invitation to buy it because I believe the number I heard was they own 66% of the service. It could simply be an option to increase it. And let's be honest, if they go ahead and end up buying WWE, maybe that becomes the uh, outlet for it because, you know, we do have that alien film that is currently filming right now, and it is a Hulu exclusive. And, you know, it's interesting. I was looking over the 7,000 playoffs and they said it is um uh various outlets guardian onward have said it's about 3.6 percent of their workforce and they will save about 5.5 billion 
uh, dollars. And the interesting thing to remember is this is a very large company. And to say, well, this it's losing money isn't entirely accurate. It's a case of the theme parks are doing well, the cruise lines are doing well, the hotels and the resorts are doing well. Most of the movies and the television shows have been phenomenal successes. It's a case of like we've discussed with other outlets. Uh, there's a lot of money involved in creating your original content for streaming. Just ask Netflix about how many billions they had to borrow. Uh, HBO Max, uh, uh, what we call it, Amazon or Prime Video. It costs a lot of money because you are not as able to license content from other companies the way that you're used to because everybody has a streaming service. And so, yeah, they're trying to get things a little in place. And, you know, let's be honest. You also had movies like Strange World and Lightyear that did not do as well as they initially hoped, but they found a very good audience on the streaming platform. And there are massive numbers of projects that are on the way at the various parks. We've already discussed the Frozen Land in Hong Kong, the uh, Zootopia Land in Shanghai. We've already had Mickey's Runaway uh, Railroad open at California. You've got um, the brand new Disney Vacation Club Tower that is in the works. You've got the announced Avatar thing. You've got Tron and other things coming to Florida. You know, there is a lot of money being thrown in. Let's not forget, we are also supposed to get a, um, uh, what do you call it? We're supposed to get the next attraction at the Avengers campus. And I believe there's even a third one coming in the next few years. So there's lots of stuff. And the interesting thing about it is I was just taking a quick peek. We've already mentioned Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania coming, and that's going to do really well. And there's a lot of other things, but just take a look at Disney's upcoming slate. And I'm not, again, going through everything. I'm just looking at the ones that I think might have potential. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the live-action Little Mermaid, Elemental. We've already discussed Indiana Jones, The Dial of Destiny, The Marvels, Haunted Mansion, um, you know... You have Peter Pan and Wendy. There's a, a supposedly a, another Kingsman film in the works. And then a live-action Snow White. You've got another Captain America movie. And, oh, yeah, for those people over saying, I saw someone post the other day, I don't know why Disney bought um, Fox because outside of this there's nothing. And I'm like, wow, you guys really weren't thinking because there's this little thing called Avatar that's been dominating the box office that they got out of it and kingdom of the planet of the apes you know inside out two is supposedly coming they announced a um uh what do you call it uh more lion king there's thunderbolts there's blade and oh yeah deadpool 3 more avatar fantastic four avengers movies on and on and then as i think when we get to um star wars celebration in a few weeks they're supposedly a new Star Wars film that's going to be announced coming in 2025, and so a lot more stuff. So the the product is there. It's just a matter, I think, of streamlining the process. And of course, one of the things Iger did was that he went back to the distribution platform um, without getting overly complicated. It was my understanding that under Chapek, various things were divided into separate divisions, and he had more of a it starts here and spreads outward uh, approach. And that's what they've gone back to. And they think that'll streamline the process. And the interesting thing is, right as we're saying all that, 
we get a uh, we got a thing this morning from Bob Iger. It's sent out to the Disney D23 members. It essentially said there'll be a special commercial tonight during the game that honors 100 years of unrivaled storytelling and innovation. And it was shared with us. We do have it on our page right now at sknr.net. And uh, basically, the thing that people may not be remembering is this is the 100th anniversary of the company. And they have tons of celebrations planned, not just at the park. I know at the D23 Expo, we saw things that are going to be ongoing. There's a traveling exhibition that is in the U.S. and also one in Europe. And for the next five years, it's going to be traveling the world. And it's a very large, interactive um, showcase of everything from film, television, animation, music, just blows the mind how much stuff they had, and I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, other things I'm looking forward to seeing is that as we got the first trailer for Fast 10, and the shorter trailer is going to be on the game's day, we got news from David Toy and um, Vin Diesel that Riddick 4 Furiosa is indeed going to happen, and that we are going to see Riddick finally go back to his home world, and he's going to be returning to a world he barely remembers, but he is going to find other Furians, and there is going to be a new enemy for them to face. So, Justin, what do you make of this? Yeah, no, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched, uh, I think I've seen Pitch Black, but I haven't watched any of the other Riddick movies, but uh, I know that they are, uh, they've kind of got their own cult following, so uh, I'm, I'm interested to see... Uh, you know what they come up with and michael what do you think yeah i mean i liked pitch black um i liked chronicles of riddick from a visual perspective i'm a little surprised because those movies came out so long ago i don't really know that there's much of a i don't think a lot of the current moviegoers are necessarily familiar with that character um again i don't think either of those movies did exceptionally well at the box office um, you know, Pitch Black was really a horror movie. It really, he was a, <coughs> a main character. But he didn't really, it wasn't really about him, right? And Chronicles of Reddick really was a offshoot of that movie. It really had nothing to do with that movie either. Um, again, I like the concept. I like the, um, I liked the idea behind it. Um, I just don't know if it's going to, you know, I know Vin Diesel has a, a following um, for his other movies, and maybe that's enough to, um, you know, draw a lot of excitement into that movie. But I, I think that's kind of a risky move, in my opinion. I just don't know that it has the following because um, they're going to have to put money into it. Obviously, um, sci-fi movies are traditionally very expensive, particularly to make them um, really well. You know, you know, to, to really do them well. And again, I think I don't know that Riddick has the draw to offshoot some of the costs, but we'll see what they can do. It's interesting because I'm looking at the history of the franchise. So the first film back in 2000 was done on a $23 million budget. It made $53 million. So, you know, a decent enough. And of course, obviously, then you factor in home video and all that. So the second one, uh, Universal went all in, put all this money into it. $105 million, and it only made $115 million back. So that, Justin and Michael, is exactly kind of where you're getting at, going, okay. And some people think they went too big 
with Chronicles of Riddick. They tried to go, you know, bigger, bolder, and make this epic film, and that isn't what worked. And what I found interesting is when we did get Riddick in 2013, 10 years ago now, uh, Vin Diesel essentially, if I remember correctly, used his own production company, filmed it up in Canada, and was able to make a tighter film. So on a $38 million budget, they were able to bring back $98 million. So, and then of course, obviously pay-per-view streaming and home video, all of that stuff followed. And I think that's kind of the approach they're looking at going, okay, um, you know, people know the character. We went too big with the second film. Let's try to keep a, a tighter, more character-based approach. Cause that seems to work. The, you know, anti-hero with the, you know, interesting uh morality about him uh and i think that's might be where they're leaning toward is that they're sitting there going okay you know if we can do this film for 40 million dollars and make 100 million will be profitable uh because you can bet that part of this is that they're going to be pushing very hard with the foreign pre-sales the streaming the on-demand where they could sit there and say just in guarantees can we make enough to cover it? Because it, it's an interesting take. I think in many ways that his goal is to kind of wrap up the story here, but leave it open just enough that if they ever have to kick the tires on it again 10 years down the road. And let's be honest, I think I I think the fact that he has got Fast X-10 and one more film in this before they go into spinoffs doesn't hurt that Universal is working with him to say, hey, you know, let's... Let's wrap up the uh, let's wrap up the uh, Fast and Furious saga, and I don't think it's any coincidence that while the trailer is dropped, that uh, mysteriously we're getting the news about uh, this new film at the same time. They do tend to be piggybacking on one another. So interesting, interesting stuff there. Another thing I wanted to mention is this week on Paramount Plus, we get the brand new and what we're told is the final season of Star Trek: Picard. Now. Interestingly enough, the um, show was screened for various critics, and they generally were very enthusiastic about it. And um, it is seven critic reviews have given it an average of 84%, although some uh, are basically saying, and I've, I've you know, obviously you have to balance this out because I'm seeing reviews 100, 100, 91, 83, 80, 75, 73. There are some saying it's absolutely fantastic and others are kind of saying, well, it kind of tries to do too much in terms of, uh, I don't want to say pandering because I think it's a bad example, but it tries to appease uh, the Star Trek Next Generation fans by throwing in as many cameos and such as they possibly can. Uh, cameos also probably a very bad way of putting it, but characters from the original series to the point where some say the plot gets a little muddled and lost along the way. Uh, Michael, do you have a take on this? And I'll, I'll preface this, but I only saw the first series, the first season of Picard, and I, I was kind of a, a little bit in the mix, you know, middle of the road on it myself, because I do, I do feel that it's trying to appeal to next generation fans exclusively um and there's nothing wrong with that it's just um 
I, I thought even they kind of focused more on um, bringing back characters and trying to drum up nostalgia for that franchise versus um, really, you know, trending a new road or, or telling a, 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 you know, a compelling story. Um, and I thought that I always kind of thought that was the point of this was not to um, come up with an entirely new franchise, but really to kind of offshoot it from the next generation. So I, I think it's doing exactly what the plan was, and that is, um, you know, bring folks in for the nostalgia, bring back the characters, and that's you know really what they're attempting to do. At least that was my take, just seeing the first season, uh, first season of the show. Justin, do you have a take on this? Uh, yeah, so uh, Picard really wasn't my thing, uh, personally. Um, but then again, you know, take my opinion with a grain of salt. I'm not, I was never really a huge Star Trek fan. Uh, I got into it, I mean, uh, what I've seen of it, uh, came much later in life, so I didn't grow up with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I it's a, it's a franchise I, I greatly respect. It's just not one that, um, that, uh, that I have a lot of investment in. Uh, that said, you know, uh, Picard, I s sort of felt like is, is a very uneven show um, that kind of goes in multiple directions. And I, I uh, you know, I sort of feel like they're doing it again with, uh, with the third season, uh, reintroducing, you know, it, it seems like the, the main pitch of this, this newest season is uh, bringing back um, the crew from, the next generation uh which you know that might be actually what the show needs because uh between like the first and second seasons of picard um the i i think the first one is is maybe a little bit better um it seems like the show doesn't exactly know where it wants to go um and maybe you know maybe now that they have their footing and this they're going in their final season I, i'm I'm hoping that uh, they kind of found what they want to do with the show um, and kind of stick with it. I think for me, what I'm really curious about is the crumbs that they might leave for future Star Trek shows. Now, um, we know Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Discovery, they're going there. I'm not a big fan of Discovery. I have enjoyed uh, Strange New Worlds very much. Looking forward to season two. Uh, Anson Mount's going to be coming to Phoenix Fan Fusion uh, in June. He's also going to be, uh, William Shatner's going to be there. So we're looking forward to seeing and hearing what they have to talk about. And of course, I'm not addressing the animated shows at this time, simply because what I think Star Trek needs, and we, we heard the other day about, um, you know, the fourth film is still in, the plans at, at Paramount, but I'm literally between seeing multiple directors name and then nothing ever coming of it. I'm literally in that. I'll believe it when the cameras start filming on that. The big thing that I wanted to see, and I know they threw a little tiny bit in by bringing seven of nine into it. And I am told the new season will address this for me. I think the most important thing as a Star Trek fan is I wanted to know about the aftermath of the Dominion War. Now we've seen a Federation a bit further in the future. They've obviously rebuilt up the fleet. I mean, uh, last uh, couple seasons ago, Riker talked about the ship that he was on being the most advanced, uh, essentially a butt kicker. 
that has ever been created. So obviously, the Federation not only rebuilt, but they um, put an emphasis on combat ability in these ships. At the same time, we also see a little bit more fraction, kind of the way that Y. Picard left Starfleet in the first place. Now, I have been told we will learn more about the aftermath of the Dominion War because I have so many questions about that. And I know the comics from IDW and stuff have addressed this, but, like, did um, Cisco ever return? We've heard stories that we might get some Deep Space Nine appearances in the show. We did get a little bit of one in the recent uh, animated series. But also, the whole thing about Voyager, that's always been a little vague for me in terms of, what happened to all of them when they came back? I mean, we know Seven of Nine's story somewhat, but there's all of this stuff. And, you know, what's going on with the what's left of the Dominion? Did they eventually find a peaceful grounds with the Federation? All of this. And I think that stuff has to be addressed because if you are going to do any future Star Trek shows that follow the next generation Deep Space Nine and Voyager timeline, we have to have an idea in our heads what's going to happen. I don't want to basically be given a show going, oh yeah, Cardassia is still rebuilding, the Dominion's still in the Gamma Quadrant, kind of watched over by the Federation, la 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 la, because, you know, there's lots of stuff. We've already seen that the Romulans have a much better relationship with the Federation than they had in the past, uh, but, again, fractions. And so I think that, to me, is the big question. Where are they going to go? Because... Paramount Plus is going to keep making Star Trek series. How many of them are going to be in the past? How many of them are going to be jumping in the future? And I think this Picard uh, season is going to do a lot to address that. Well, folks, that is going to do it for us today. I uh, hope everybody enjoys seeing all the trailers this afternoon during the game. And we will be back next week with all new content. Until then, take care and have a very